Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. My guest on the podcast today collapsed in a bathroom in Nigeria. She had no idea that she had breast cancer until her doctor in the US made the diagnosis. That diagnosis demonstrated to her how resourceful she could be and how much she could contribute to the welfare of other cancer patients worldwide. My guest today is Grace Charrier. You're very, very welcome to the show, Grace. It is a great honor to have you speak with me today. You've described yourself as a cancer survivor. Tell us about your journey in cancer. What happened? How did you discover that you had cancer and what happened after that? Oh, well, thank you very much, uh, Moyes, for having me. Um, It's a pleasure to be, an honor to be here. My experience with cancer actually came as a great shock because I didn't have the usual lumps and bumps and secretions and all that that are usually synonymous with um, cancer. It actually happened while I was having a shower in my bathroom. I passed out. I was in Nigeria at the time. I'm Nigerian. And I went to, I was actually there to have a media event in something completely different, but also in the health space. And that had to do with uterine fibroids. I think it was like I was tired and, you know, there was just so much I had to do and take care of. So after the media event, a day later, I went into the shower and I lost all control, all sense of feeling and everything. And I fell. So I fell from my bath, from the edge of my bath onto the ground. And on my way down, I hit my head. I hit my my eye, my clavicle, everything. I almost lost my right eye. Thank God. I still have some issues with it up till today. And that was it. So I woke up on the floor. Luckily, it was not as bad as a lot of people would have experienced because we hear that many people have accidents like that and have never come out of that fall. So thank God for bathroom rugs and all that, that kind of cushioned the effect. And so when my rest of my family came, they hadn't heard from me or whatever. This is Grace. She went into the bathroom. What happened? And they luckily the bathroom door was open. And this is what I always harp on. Never lock the bathroom door. You can never know what's going to happen. They found me on the floor, threw water on me and lifted me up and everything. Fast forward, I had to come back to the United States where I reside and had to see my PCP. So this is my PCP I had seen some time ago. Who knew that I was going to Nigeria for this media event on uterine fibroids, only to see me back so soon. I had to undergo a lot of tests. He said echocardiogram, maybe my electrolytes were low. That's why I passed out just to try and find out what exactly what was wrong. Now I went for the echocardiogram. It was okay. Yeah. Just that my, I was seen, it it was seen that my blood pressure was, um, kind of high. So when I was leaving my PCP's office, he now said, oh, everything seems okay, but when was the last time you had uh, a mammogram? And I said, uh, I couldn't even remember the last time. So he said, okay, I'm going to send you off for 
to, to have a mammogram. For you not to remember, it's about time. So went for the mammogram the first time. It was inconclusive. And so the second time, it was inconclusive as well. So on the third, my PCP said no. And my oncologist also had said, no, we're not sending you back into radiation, you know, having, let's have a minimally invasive biopsy, which I had to have. And it was then it was discovered that, you know, they had taken, you know, samples and sent to pathology. And it was seen that I had a mass behind my, my chest, attached to my chest muscle to, you know, so I'm like, what are they trying to say? So it's not what I said. I didn't have itching. I didn't have all the usual things. Maybe it's a cyst in it or whatever, but they said, no, this is a mass. So that's how that shock came about. And um, it now threw me, it was from the left field kind of thing. I was now caught up in having to undergo chemotherapy and have a mastectomy and then have radiation done. And um, coincidentally, I just went for the results of my follow-up PET scan yesterday. So I, I just hope that everything will be okay eventually. In many ways, it is a typical story that somebody has a diagnosis and then they're in the system. And then, of course, all hell breaks loose and they end up in having all kinds of tests and treatments that they'd never probably heard of before. What was that journey like for you where you were? Oh, wow. It was overwhelming to say the least. I mean, there I was, apart from having malaria or a toothache or something, this was mega as far as I'm concerned. And especially when you hear the word cancer, the first thing you say, you think of is death. And you're like, okay, let me start putting my house in order. I have a daughter. I need to, you know, sit down and have that, uh, you know, parent-child talk. But then, for some reason, I'm a very uh, spiritual person too, and I took it to God. I said, my story doesn't have to be the same as others who have passed from it. Yes, maybe it could have been as a result of so many other things. So I will not say it doesn't mean that I'm better than anybody that has passed. But I will not allow myself to be depressed. Yes, I'm going to have my breast cut off. I'm going to go through. And you know, the woman's body, the woman's beauty, you know, the visual. Yeah, everything is visual. And then when that has to happen, you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? That kind of thing. I'm not going to be beautiful anymore. I'm not going to. But I said to myself, well, my beauty is in my heart, it's not in my physical. Um, Anatomy, those that love me know that um, I am a beautiful person inside out. So I'm not necessarily physical. So I strengthened my resolve to sit up, stand up straight and go for it. It's easier said than done, really. But if one actually puts one's mind to something, one can do it. First of all, I, I, I had to accept the fact that this was happening to me. That's the first thing first. You can't be in denial and you, you, you have to realize that you have to actually feel before you heal. And so I had to feel all the potpourri of emotions, the pain, the hurt, 
the loss of friends because we experienced that, which I said that's good because it kinds of shows you who the real friends were or are when you're going through issues like this. So I had to go through that. I had to strengthen my resolve. I had to strengthen myself. I had to have that mental resilience. Like I always say, mental resilience is a muscle. You have to work at it. It's like, yo, you want to have a six pack. You can't have a six pack when you only exercise once every three months. It's a daily it's it, you call it the daily grind. You have to constantly work work at it. So going through all this, I now discovered I was going to I nobody around me had cancer. I to be honest with you, nobody even knew that I had cancer in my family because and I told my daughter that I didn't want anyone to know. I'm a very emotional person and so anybody that would have known would have said, oh, Grace, all that. Here I am trying to be strong. And then I'm going to be all teary after a phone call or people will come and all that. So I kept that away. And that is where I tell people, I said, I'm, I'm, I didn't practice what I'm now preaching. So I'm sorry, guys, I didn't practice what I'm now preaching because I preach community now. But when I was going through that, I was doing it all alone. But it has its pros because then I was able to see what I could achieve on my own and what I can now achieve going forward as a community. And yeah, having that community with you is much better than going it alone. Nevertheless, I used that to do a lot of things, not dwell, uh, not be depressed to avoid depression and all that. So that's, that's, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, that's an amazing story. And to have found the strength within yourself to get yourself through it, but come out of it realizing that you need to reach out to others. Yes. Talk yes. about that a little bit more. When, at what point did you discover that you would have been better connecting than being on your own? I discovered that when I was reading up, when I got that diagnosis that I was a stage three uh, with a stage three breast cancer diagnosis, the next stage is stage four, right? And then palliative. I'm like, oh my God, I'm literally on, on the edge. Praise God, uh, something positive could be done. It was when I didn't have any, anybody to fall back on as regards information. I was reading up everything. I was, what should I say, asking my oncologist questions. My oncologist actually was so furious with me sometimes because he'd say, Grace, stop reading. You know, you're reading all the wrong things. And because I would ask, keep him awake at night asking the crazy questions. Um, am I going to die? This is that. Breast three. Some people have died from stage two, even stage one. Nobody told me that really that there was communities that you could go into the communities for men with breast cancer. That was a close community because there's still a stigma about that. Then there were communities for women, the, for MBC, for that's metastatic breast cancer, for stage one to three. You know, there were very so at that time I could probably have attached myself to one of those. And even to do with mental health, because I'm huge on mental health. I think that one of the reasons that I'm 
I've, I'm, I'm still here today is that mental health aspect. Because when I saw that, or when I realized that I was falling into the dumps, so to speak, that was when I now started my advocacy in full force because I felt that I had a story to tell. I've, um, when people look at me now, they say, no, don't come on. You, you didn't have breast cancer. Where? Why? You don't, you don't look it, uh, that kind of thing. And I said, yes, because it's internal. You have to work internally. If, if, you, say, if you say, I'm not going to be happy, you won't be happy. If you say, I'm going to be happy, you've affirmed that you will, and it will. There's power in the tongue. That's what my mom used to say. So that is why I always say that, oh, I, I missed out, but it's not too late because what I didn't know then, I can now use it and help those that have come after me who say, Grace, what did you have to do? Who say, Grace, um, where did you go? What are your resources? And all that. And yeah, but I, we don't want to tell family. I say, tell a few, not all. Because not all family is family. You find out that a lot of friends are more family than family. So you need you don't you don't need toxic people around you during that time. You're you're going through a lot, you're healing. So you just need people that would give you succor that don't actually have to say anything. They're just there for you. Because sometimes you just need peace and quiet, but you know that. If ever I had a problem, this is the one person to call and that person would be there for you. So quality over quantity is, is, is always what I say. So that, that is what happened to me. It's nice that you found that strength and you found that lesson in, in what was a very difficult time. I want to talk a little bit about your doctor because it sounds like you had a good relationship with your doctor if you were able to contact him out of ours or her out of ours and talk about what was on your mind. Was that universally your experience or did you have different experiences with different doctors? You know, the, the whole experience, of course, you know, when you're going through whatever chronic illness, not just um, cancer, you, there's a, a multidisciplinary team. You have your PCP, you have your oncologist, you have even the nurses that I got very close to. You have all other patient advocates that could act also relate to what you were going through. So my relationship with, with my primary care provider actually introduced me to my oncologist. But then my oncologist and I are closer than <laughs> the PCP and I, because it was the oncologist that was taking care of everything. Yeah, he was the one that was referring me for my radiation. He was the one that was referring me to the surgeon. The PCP just did that connection and everything went on the, from there. It's later on we would now tell him, oh, this is what happened. This, this is what my, or my oncologist would tell him actually, because they're very close. They're very, very close. But my oncologist actually became a, a brother. He is a brother. And uh, when I'd have crazy spells during that time, he'll say, Grace, I know, um, I said, um, Dr. K, I call him Dr. K. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I read and all that. And like I said earlier, he'd say, enough reading, you read too much and all. So I had a very, I still have a very wonderful relationship with my oncologist, honestly. So do I with my PCP, but I see my oncologist more often because 
I have to do my scans. I have to do, except when I go for blood work, then I do. But you see, blood work is once in a while. But the scans are what really, the PET scans or MRIs are what really cement our relationship. Because I, I still have my port. And he was saying, we have to make sure you're NED, no evidence of disease before we take the port out. So I'm like, oh, take this port out. You know, we've had enough because you have to flush the port, as you know. So I have to do that very often. And it still gives you that feeling when you go back into that infusion room. It just brings back all sorts of memories as to what happened in the past. But when I go there, I'm happy because I, I see other women who have sat in my seat. And my oncologist will say, Grace, would you give them one word? This is one of our star patients. That's what he would say. So I would tell them, listen, you can do this just one step at a time, one day at a time, and just believe that everything will be okay and everything will be okay. Looking back now at Grace as she is today, compared to Grace as she was the day before you fell in that shower, how would you characterize yourself? Do you think that this has changed your life? and made you a different person, or do you think that you are just the same person when you're stronger? A day before my fall, um, I'll take you a little back earlier than that. My background, I've, I've been a businesswoman all my life, a government contractor and all that. But at the same time, I love volunteering. So I love to give back a, a bit of philanthropy here and there, especially where I come from in Nigeria in Africa as a whole. Yeah, I I help those who seek some kind of succor. Women, you know how it is when it comes to health, where to be able to take care of those underserved communities is overwhelming because a lot of the times there, there are no access roads to reach them. Sometimes religion plays a very crazy uh, part because some feel that, okay, if I wanted to get a vaccine like for cervical cancer to women in those remote areas, they would say, no, already there's something about vaccine, HPV vaccine. Oh, you're going to stop the the ladies from from giving birth and all that kind of thing. You know, you're going to kill their eggs and, you know, you know, So these are the kind of things that I was very much involved in. When I talk about uterine fibroids, a lot of women didn't know that they had uterine fibroids. They kept saying that they were pregnant. And this was an awareness that I had to push at the time because my driver's wife too had uterine fibroids and she was I'm like, why are you bleeding like this? You're bleeding every day, I see you. What's 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 going on? And um, I had to take her to my gynecologist. And it was my gynecologist that said, she, this lady has uterine fibroids. This is no pregnancy. And so my driver thought all this while that his wife was pregnant. So this was that we now had to break it to him that don't blame your wife or whatever, but this is the real matter. This is a medical condition. Okay. So don't go ranting. She didn't know. Okay, so we're going to, what should I say? Take out her womb. You guys already have two, three kids. That's enough. 
save her life. She's bleeding endlessly and all that. So these are the kind of things that I was doing aside my work as a, as a businesswoman and coming together with other like-minded people, my friends and people that I, I respected to, to kind of let's hold hands and it takes many to tango kind of thing. So I was flying everywhere, doing everything, you know, that kind of stuff. But once, as soon as I got that diagnosis, everything changed, but changed for the better. Because even though I'm not, um, um, I'm, I'm someone that loves people, I love to care, I love to help and everything, that my experience didn't really change me much because that's my character. But I now found out that, oh, I have talent in communication. So I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to talk about my experiences. I'm going to bring doctors, oncologists to come give their take on this disease and other chronic illnesses. So this experience actually made me a better person, to be honest. And it saw me giving back to the community. You can imagine if I don't have my podcast out on the, on the day, I get frantic. That's just to show you my passion. No, I tell you, that is just to show you my passion. Oh my God, um, it has to be out on the 19th or 20th. Here I, here I am, blah, blah, blah. So it's a wonderful feeling. It's, um, it's something that I don't think if I, had, if, if I didn't have cancer, yeah, maybe I could still be happy and everything, but I am fulfilled. That's the word. I've, I feel happy. I feel, I feel genuinely happy. I may not have as much money as I did when I was in business, but I tell you that the wealth that I have now from coming on this show to tell my story for you inviting me to share, to let people know that it's, you, you, you can't do it alone and you're never alone if only you reach out. That's it. Just, just have that, what should I say? Like I, I say, I make affirmations every day. Is like reading the Bible and I make affirmations seven times. So if I'm about to step out of the house, this is what I say. I say, God, let it be done as you will. And I say it seven times and I move. I don't look back. I tell you just those few words of affirmation. You don't have to ask people to intercede on your behalf to get your prayer across to God. That's what I say. If I want something from God, I ask him. I'm his child. I was made in his own creation. He knows that he brought me here for a reason, and I had to go through that experience for a reason. So I think I'm the better for it. I want to talk a little bit about what your message is for doctors, because clearly you've been very lucky in having the doctor that you've had, and he's walked with you on this journey as you have grown not only recovered from the cancer, but you've grown as a person. That's quite clear in what you've described. What is your message to doctors generally who day in, day out will be seeing patients with this condition? My respect goes out to all the, all the doctors. My respect goes out to all of them because it's not easy. They have to deal with all manners of patients, answer their questions, and then go back home and they have to deal with home matters as well. It's not easy. A lot of them suffer from mental health. 
issues. What I would like to harp on is that you took the Hippocratic Oath to be there for all your patients, regardless. So I know it can be quite frustrating when you're seeing patients in and out, one after the other. In fact, it becomes like it. Honestly, I like I tell my doctors sometimes, I said, we're all numbers. He says, no, 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 don't say that. <laughs> but I said, it's true because you're seeing one, one face after the other. You're seeing one face after the other. And except for someone like me that my doctors know very well, and that's because they've had to deal with me for like three, four years, almost weekly. For other patients, it's not so easy because they... A lot of times they forget their names. A lot of times they have to remember, except for the file in front of them that has been brought by a nurse to say, oh, this is Mr. or Mrs. XYZ. This is because you can't blame them. They have, they have been going, so, going through so much, especially now with COVID. I mean, let me, let me talk about here. Australia has been pretty, let's say, uh, lucky. But we're here in, in the United States. I mean, mental health amongst the medical professionals is, has, it's, it's spiked. They're going through so much. And at the same time, I, they're not being valued for all the efforts that they're made. They, people feel that the doctors have to do more. How, how much more can they do? They're not robots. They're human beings. But at the same time, I would say that, first of all, know that you're dealing with a patient comes to you with the same question and all over and over again. Why? Because they're panicking. They're scared. They look up to you to say, even if, God forbid, they're dying, they just need you to say, no, you're not dying. For them, that even gives them sucre. You've helped them. You've helped extend their lives by a day or two, let's just put it that way. That's all they need to hear. Just be patient and then explain to them in layman's terms what it is that is wrong with them. A lot of doctors, I see all the medical jargon. I mean, I'm, I'm suffering from cancer. I don't want to hear any medical jargon. I want you to tell me what is wrong with me. Why is my sugar level high? What do I need to do? Why am I obese? I'm not eating. You know, those are the little pieces of information that patients like us seek from our doctors with a smile here and there, with a nod of affirmation that we're not going crazy, that we have asked the right question. So that, that, is, my, that is my advice to, to, to the doctors. We love our doctors. We, we appreciate them so much. They have kept us going but also to, to beg of them to be patient, to listen to us. Sometimes you, I've read in some instances and I've heard a couple of other patient advocates say they feel very cut off from their experience. This is my illness. This is my body. I have to go through this. And then you won't tell me what is wrong. So I have to be a part of my medical trajectory. That's what I always say. Right from the day I walked into your office to say, hey, doctor, I think there's something wrong with me until after all the interventions I would have 
had to go through or I would have to pass through. I think I should be a, um, a part of the discussion. Tell me what I need to do and not just chew me off. Grace Sharia, you're an extraordinary woman. You're generous, you're thoughtful, you're kind. And above all, you're asking not a lot when you have a right to ask for so much more, given what you've gone through and given what so many patients have gone through. It's been an honor speaking with you. Thank you so much. It's more more of an honor speaking with you too. (laughs) The Journal of Health Design. Better health by design. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com. Редактор субтитров А.Семкин Корректор А.Егорова